0: Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 Support Call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 Pacific Time. It's 7.40 Mountain Time, 8.40 Central Time, and 9.40 Eastern Time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls or want to pick them up, you can go to an application called SoundCloud. Or you can go to wherever, whatever podcast service you get your podcast through, put in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and either TR90 or Solutions, the Digit for Anti-Aging, and these calls will pop up. They're now archived back more than 11 years. And for those of you that do not know who I am, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon. If you're listening to this as a podcast and want to catch us live, if you dial into one 712 and when it prompts for the code, put in nine one zero zero two three two. you can join us live, and we would love to have you come join us. This, these calls are done in support of your TR90 program, and it is a lifestyle change. It's not something that happens. You do once and you never do it again. It's changing your lifestyle so that it's healthier for you all the way around. With that being said, when you're first starting out with that TR90 program, it's a good, clean, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at least three of those meals, seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day because those will give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and it will give you fiber. Guys should be getting about 45 grams of fiber daily, ladies we need to be getting about 32 grams of fiber daily for that good digestive health. You should be taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal if at all possible, but if it's not possible, do take it with your meal, still works, just not quite as efficiently as it would have if you had it beforehand drinking plenty of water to stay hydrated. The current thinking is you should be drinking the equivalent of one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh and realize that some of your fruits and vegetables contain water and that is part of your water intake. So if you don't quite hit your mark then um, take a look at your fruits and vegetables and see if, if that or tea or something else has um, added some fluid to your uh, total seven to nine hours of good quality sleep at night. That will make sure that you are well rested the next day so that you can make really good decisions. And um, one of the things is that if you, you're not functioning at top brain form, then it may be harder to stay on the program and plan like one needs to in order for this to work. 30 minutes of moderate to have the exercise at least five days a week, and I like to mix it up between my aerobic and weight bearing, just because I like to have a good balance and I like to be able to keep my balance as I get older. So that will also help. And with that being said, I'm sharing some information today out of a book that's called Superfood, not that's not superfoods. It's Fat Chance, and it's by Robert H. Lustig, M.D., M.S.L. Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity and Disease, and we're just starting into the section where we find out whether food food addiction is fact or fallacy, and I'm going to give you what he has for his little case study here in this first paragraph. Salvador is a 15-year-old Latino boy with obesity, a fatty liver, and high blood pressure. He drinks four sodas a day. His mom does not buy them for him or keep them in the house. Rather, he buys them at a convenience store on the way to and from school. Salvador enrolls enrolls in our research study, whereby each day for 10 days, he will consume the same number of calories from our hospital's metabolic kitchen, which will provide all of his food prepared by a chef and sugar-free. Nonetheless, each day he buys a can of soda and brings it home, putting it on his dresser next to those from the day before. He tells his mother, when the study is over, I'm drinking them all. Indeed, the evening of the end of the study, he drinks every last one, to his, much to his mother's chagrin. He may not have been addicted physically, but mental obsession and craving indicated dependence and could not be suppressed, that could not be suppressed. (laughs) So life is too short to eat bad food even if it's cheap. Eating is supposed to be an enjoyable experience, especially when the food is special. There's nothing quite like going to a nice restaurant with the sights and sounds and smells of a well-prepared meal. (laughs) It's one of the few true enjoyments of life. Yet, familiarity breeds greater ch- cravings. Ask Philadelphians about their cheesesteaks, New Orleans New residents about... <coughs> excuse me, I got a tickle in my throat. About their poor, poor boys' vignettes or Memphisans. About their barbecue. Surprise. Those are among the three most obese cities in the country. Coincidence? That's a question for us. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. That tickle in my throat. not wanting to go away. As prodigious as some American cuisine is, is there anything, really anything special about soda, a French fry, or an item in a fast food restaurant? Yet we devour fast food as if it were going out of style. Americans consume Big Macs as if each one might be our last, given the mortality rates in beef. obese. Each one might, just might be. Fast food comprises a growing proportion of food eaten outside of the home. <coughs> in the United States of the 1950s, fast food accounted for 4% of the total sales of food outside the home. In 1997, it accounted for 34%. So it jumped 30% in those intervening years. Each day, 30% of US adults eat at a fast food outlet, and McDonald's feeds 46 million Americans. What about the rest of the world? They didn't experience fast food growing up, yet it's how the biggest seller now. It's now the biggest seller in developing countries. There is no familiarity here. They weren't raised on the stuff. They're consuming it. They know Why do they eat fast food when it's not their traditional fare? Because it's cheap. It certainly isn't abroad. Why do the locals frequent Taco Bell in Mexico when the original tacos are cheaper and ostensibly? healthier? Something more is going on here is the world addicted to fast food. The biology of addiction is at the center of this question. Our brains are wired for reward. It is the primary force behind American survival and reward is the reason to get up in the morning. If you take away the reward, you take away the reason to live. We know this from recent experience with the anti-obesity drug rimmonobant, which was deep-sixed after it failed to gain approval by the FDA in 2007. Rimmonobant is an endocannabinoid antagonist or the anti marijuana medicine, which means it also anti-munchies. It inhibits the sense of reward while it, it worked to promote weight loss. 20% of the subjects who used it experienced serious psychiatric side effects, especially depression, and there were several suicides Kill the reward system and you just might kill yourself. Although the brain's reward system is complex and has many inputs, it can be reduced to the hedonic hidden path, hidden, hidden, hidden pathway. This pathway is where the primal emotions, reproductive drive, and the survival instinct all are housed and are expressed. These reward mechanisms are thought to evolve to reinforce behaviors that are essentially for... Um, perpetuity of the species and survival, such as sex for reproduction and the enjoyment of food so that you will eat. This is also the pathway that reinforces the positive and negative aspects of drugs of abuse such as nicotine, cocaine, morphine, and alcohol. In order to maintain eating as one of the most powerful urges in animal and human behavior, evolution has also made it a rich source of pleasure and reward. The hedonic pathway comprises a neural conduit between two brain areas. The ventral, tegmental area, or the VTA, and the nucleus accumbens, or the MA, are also known as an also known as the reward center, both of which are deep brain structures. <coughs> Pleasure occurs when the VTA signals the MA to release dopamine, a neurotransmitter. It's a signal that, it, from one brain center to another. When, the, when released, dopamine binds to its specific dopamine D2 receptor in the N-A, and the sense of pleasure is experienced. So what are the neurotransmitters and receptors? Think of keys and locks. Each neuron is a cell body and at its end is an axion, special fiber of neuron that sends information. The axon has a synapse or pathway that connects it to the dendrites of, of specialized fibers of the nerve cell that receives the information and of the next neuron. When a neural impulse is generated in the first cell, it pulses down to the end of the axion, which contains little packets of neurotransmitters that are then released. These are the keys. They travel across the synapses to the... Receptors or locks located in the dendrites of the next cell. There are many keys that take the path along the synapse. Not all of them make it to their destination. <laughs> along their way via the synapse, are some are metabolized and some are reuptake, or excuse me, reuptaken. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Dopamine is one of these types of keys traveling to fit into the locks of the D2 receptors in the next cell. This thus determines the triggering and firing of the next cells down the chain. Food intake is just one readout of the hedonic pathway, and it appears to mediate feeding on the basis of palatability rather than energy need. I'm stuffed, but that chocolate cake sure looks good. When functional, the the hedonic pathway helps curtail food intake in situations where energy stores are replete. I don't need to finish that macaroni and cheese, however, When dysfunctional, this pathway can increase food intake, leading to obesity. If you feed a rodent a palatable food, for example, high-fat, high-sugar food, such as cookie dough, the animal experiences reward because of the dopamine is released from the VTA and it binds to the d 2 receptor in the MA. As long as that continues, the animal will continue to eat and experience reward. There are three processes that modulate this system in one direction or another. The first, anything that increases the dopamine transmission to the NA increases the feeling of reward. The second, anything that clears the dopamine from the NA will extinguish the feeling of reward. And the third, anything that reduces the number of D2 receptors in the NA, or binding of the dopamine to those receptors, such as chronic overuse of a substance, will shortchange the reward. You will then need more dopamine, and hence more of the substance to get the same feeling of pleasure. And I think I'm going to stop right there because we're right at the end of our time for today. This is Susan Mann from Portland, Oregon, signing out. If you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live at the top of the hour, one of our leaders will be sharing some information with you on how to build your new skin business, and we'll be talking about some of the new things that are coming out. I am going to take us off of mute so we can say goodbye to each other. And I want to wish you a great day. This is Susan Ann for, let's see, I think this is the 12th of December, Twenty twenty one 21, 22, signing. Had to make sure I gave the right date. (laughs) Thank you, Susan. That was great information. Well, we'll pick it up from those three things and see how they react throughout the system. But, you know, we'll we'll do that tomorrow. And then we should have Frank back with us on Friday. So, not Friday, Wednesday. I'm jumping ahead in my week. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay. All right. Have a great day, one and all, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Okay. Thank you. Bye.